Hi, this is Center for Anxiety, and you're listening to A More Connected Life. In this podcast, we're here to talk about the very real struggles of mental disorders and how they can ultimately lead to greater insight, resilience, and connection. Based on current research, clinical wisdom, and first-person accounts, we will all learn how to live a more connected life. and welcome back to another episode of A More Connected Life. My name is Julia Payne, and today I'm joined by Tori Maidenberg, a licensed master social worker at Center for Anxiety who specializes in dialectical behavioral therapy, family and couples therapy, and exposure response prevention therapy. Welcome to the podcast, Tori. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. We're excited to have you. So today we're going to be discussing the benefits of collaboration in therapeutic settings, In therapy, there's a lot of room for collaboration between therapists and other therapists, between clients and therapists, between clients and their families or other support networks, and of course, between clients and other clients if they're participating in group treatment. So there's really tons of room for collaboration. So jumping right in, in terms of collaboration first between therapists and other therapists, in what ways do therapists collaborate and support each other outside of sessions with clients that clients might not see on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a really good question. And this is definitely one of my favorite topics, talking about collaboration and and connection. I think there's a few ways that we collaborate as therapists with one another. And the first is supervision. And so, you know, I think supervision, what that does is it affords therapists the opportunity to hear a different perspective to increase our therapeutic skills It's really where we're held accountable to implement evidence-based interventions and uphold ethical standards. And it's also a place to get support and guidance and mentorship. And I think it's really helpful because it provides this sort of checks and balances, if you will, for clinicians and also provides us with the professional development that we all need. And it's helpful because you know, a good supervisor acts as a mentor. They provide guidance and support while encouraging their supervisee to grow. And your supervisor can provide you with new insights or suggestions that you may not have considered before, which in turn increases treatment effectiveness. It also helps with client retention and overall staff satisfaction. There's another component, uh, which is also group supervision. And for me, I think of group supervision as sort of this peer-to-peer consultation group whereby members bring case consultation questions to group and group members get to pool their skills and knowledge and experiences to problem solve ways that the therapist can implement new strategies and interventions. And so sometimes like supervision, group supervision can be a space for the therapist to reflect on his or her own feelings towards a client and work through any difficulties there so that the therapist can show up most effectively and empathetically in session. It can also help to normalize a clinician's experience with a client and help the clinician feel less alone. Some of the most effective interventions that I've personally implemented with clients have come from group supervision at CFA, uh, where I got to pool a number of ideas and strategies from my colleagues and implemented them in session. 
And I also have been able to rely on my colleagues for much needed validation and empathy when dealing with a challenging case. So I'm a huge proponent of group supervision. I love that you mentioned both individual supervision and group supervision and how individual supervision, you really have a mentor almost who has more experience than you and can provide guidance based on what they've learned and through their experiences. But I love that you also mentioned group supervision. I'm not a clinician myself, so I've never been in group supervision, but I participated in consultation meetings, which being able to view and and observe therapists providing advice to each other in a group of therapists, it shows how one clinician can take a little bit of advice from a few different people, perhaps, and maybe taking a little bit of advice from each person rather than just hearing from one person, you are diversifying the advice that you can give. And it's creating a better opportunity for you to consider things that maybe you wouldn't have thought about if you hadn't had the opportunity to consult with other clinicians who perhaps have worked with a client who's going through something similar, have met similar setbacks that you might be experiencing. Completely. Yeah, completely. And, And I think like you're saying, it provides that more holistic understanding of the client. Yeah, definitely. And also just mentioning being a therapist can be a very difficult job and having that emotional support from your peers as well can be really validating and can help you feel a little less alone with the responsibility of taking care of another client. Completely. Yeah. Could you maybe provide an example of when supervision helps you make a breakthrough with a client about something? Ooh, good question. Yeah. I'm going to be a little bit vague here. Um, Some supervision I received for a cisgendered heterosexual couple that I was seeing. And this couple, when they came to me, were on the brink of a breakup. It was pretty clear to me that the female client wanted the breakup from the outset. And it felt to me like she kind of wanted to cross her T's and dot her I's before making that final decision, which is a totally valid reason to to come to couples therapy. But my supervisor really helped me focus less on the outcome. So less on will they break up or, you know, will they stay together and more on the process. And this allowed me to help this couple in particular, and specifically the female client, get in touch with all parts of herself to make this decision from a place of full understanding and consciousness. So, you know, the part of herself that both wanted this relationship to end and the part of herself that wanted to stay and really loved him. And I think what this did was it allowed for her to connect to every aspect so that when she did finally decide that it was right for her ultimately to end the relationship, she did so from a place of free will, of full consciousness and integrity that she was honoring the part of herself that was most aligned with her values and her needs. And I I think without supervision, I would have been so focused, you know, on the outcome and less on the process. And so having someone go, whoa, 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 like, let's slow down here. You know, let's just focus on all parts of her that she's experiencing right now, because the outcome is really out of your control, Tori, right? That you can't, you can't really help this patient to decide whether or not she's going to break up or stay with her partner. So that was really helpful. Yeah, the partner is a great example of where supervision comes in. If maybe you had not had as extensive experience working with couples and family in grad school or with what you were, your concentration was, being able to have 
supervisors or input from clinicians with a vast variety of backgrounds. And I think I also, in your situation, would be thinking towards the outcome of the relationship as being the primary thing to be concerned about in session rather than the process of making that decision and and ways that the clients perhaps could have prepared to make that decision as well, like you mentioned. So I think that those are really great examples where maybe had you not had that supervision or that collaboration, you wouldn't have seen as much improvement with those clients. So I think those are really great examples of where collaboration is really key. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up because I didn't even think about that, how supervision does allow you professional development, right? It's a space where you can come and really learn new skills if you don't have them from grad school. There's so many different areas in therapy that you can cover. And so that's what supervision does. It affords you the opportunity to really learn so many different interventions and skills and strategies that you can use in session. Yeah, exactly. So I know we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but of course, being a therapist can be a really, really difficult job. So do you mind speaking a little bit to the importance of getting support, even as a therapist or someone working in the mental health field, whether that be with as we mentioned, supervision with your colleagues or outside of just people working at Center for Anxiety? Is there a way that you can get support from colleagues or other people in the field as well? Yeah, I I think it's so important as a therapist to get support from your colleagues or even to get a therapist yourself to speak to loved ones who you know can support you. You know, at the end of the day, therapists are human too, but the same human challenges as everyone else. And this work, while incredibly rewarding and meaningful, can be really burnout inducing. And so to prevent burnout, to prevent compassion fatigue, it is imperative that you seek support when you need it. And I promise you, it will only improve your treatment effectiveness to ask for support and lean on your colleagues and your supervisor and your loved ones or to seek out mental health help yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's really difficult to be able to effectively support other people if you yourself aren't really feeling the greatest. So I think that that's a really good point to mention. So... As we discussed, as a therapist, there's a lot of benefits from working collaboratively with other therapists, and there's a lot that we can learn and a lot of support that we can get from other therapists. But on the clients, and many of the clients that we see at Center for Anxiety work with two clinicians or with sometimes a whole team of clinicians if they need a little bit higher level of care. So how can clients benefit from working with multiple different therapists or providers? I know that maybe a lot of people might think, oh, you just have one therapist and that's all you need. And for some people that is the the case, but for others, they can really benefit from having a team of providers or even just two providers to help them and support them. Yeah. So I think there's a few ways that clients can benefit from working with a treatment team, working with multiple different therapists. And one of those ways is, first of all, you can work on different goals with different therapists at the same time. So for example, you know, let's say you're really struggling with some OCD and one therapist can work on exposure and response prevention with you. And at the same time, you're also struggling with some emotional dysregulation and you want some DBT skills. You can also have a DBT skills therapist. And I think one that allows some flexibility to increase sessions if needed And also it helps to, in some cases, speed up the process if you're able to do two different interventions at the same time. 
Whereas if you're working with one clinician, wouldn't be able to be doing multiple different modalities um, at one time. That'd be much harder and there'd be a lot more limitations that one clinician can, can really do. Mm. Same with just having the flexibility to increase sessions if needed. If there's one clinician, it's going to be a lot harder with their schedule. Also, I think it creates a much more holistic view of the client, you know, from the therapist's point of view, it makes treatment more effective when you have different pairs of eyes on a client and you can regularly check in and discuss this client with your team who also has a deep understanding of this person since they're meeting with them individually too. So this can allow for new insights and a deeper understanding from different points of view, um, a little bit different to sort of supervision and group supervision, in my opinion, because these are people who are in the room with that patient as well. I think also you can have different therapy styles with different clinicians. So it gives the client the opportunity to benefit from various therapy styles and approaches to therapy, which I think could provide a more robust and comprehensive treatment for somebody. And last but not least, I do think that being on a team means you're never alone in treating this client. And it does reduce the potential for burnout for one individual clinician. And we know that, you know, a less burnt out clinician is much more effective in therapy. So you definitely don't want your therapist to be burnt out and this can help prevent that. Yeah, I think those are all really good things to mention. Of course, we just talked a lot about supervision and the benefits of supervision, but actually meeting with a team of clinicians who know the client personally, have been in session with them or been in session with their families or whatever it may be, is a different kind of knowledge that when you're in supervision, your supervisors just hearing from the therapist, their experience in session. But when you've actually yourself had a chance to meet with the client, which generally supervisors don't meet with the clients of their supervisees. It's just a lot more information if you've actually had the chance to meet with the client. And I also think mentioning different therapy styles and different modalities is is important as well. You could have one therapist who was more maybe strict or more uh, holds you accountable. Good cop, bad cop. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what I was thinking could be. (laughs) Well, I think what you're, what you're speaking to is definitely that there's sort of this spectrum between acceptance and change when we're working with a client. I think that's what you're speaking to, which is some therapists and depending on their style and also just kind of the day and where they're at with that patient can lean either more towards the acceptance side of things or more towards the change side of things. And so if you have a team, maybe that allows you to have somebody who's really super focused on change and kind of feels more like a coach and somebody who's more on the acceptance side, who you really feel that validation and warmth from and that understanding of where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. You put it in towards exactly what I was trying to say. And that was really well said. So beyond just collaboration between therapists outside of session and collaboration with between therapists who are working with the same clients, There's a lot more room for collaboration. It kind of never ends, (laughs) but there's collaborative therapy. So group therapy, family therapy, couples therapy, sometime if it's an adolescent client, bringing in a component of parenting sessions as well. So there's a lot of room for collaboration in the sessions and between clients. So how can clients really benefit from collaborating with other clients in a therapeutic setting, whether that be strangers in a group therapy setting or people that they know, their support system, their family, their friends being included in sessions as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're social creatures 
and we do most of our learning from one another, and many of our problems are interpersonal. So while individual therapy is a place where you can absolutely learn more about yourself and have a safe space to explore and practice with your therapist, most of the practice happens outside of individual therapy, you know, out there in the quote unquote real world interpersonally with other people. So group therapy and family therapy and couples therapy brings more of the outside world into the therapy space. And in group therapy in particular, I think it allows the client to get modeling from others, to get other ideas, to socialize, to receive validation and valuable feedback from other members of the group, and to have your experiences and emotions seen and understood by multiple people, which can really take the shame and blame out of many people's experiences and alleviate a lot of symptoms. And groups help to normalize someone's experience so that they feel less alone in what they're going through. And as social creatures, having your experience seen and validated and normalized is fundamental to healing and to being human. I think when it comes to family and couples therapy, first of all, I think it does all of that, that group therapy does. Plus, it allows the therapist to intervene in the moment to change maladaptive patterns of communication and interaction in order to improve the quality of the relationship amongst family members or amongst the couple and increase connection between everybody. It also helps the therapist to get a fuller picture of what is going on and understand from multiple perspectives what the confronting issues are. You know, as a family and couples therapist myself, I can say that Family and couples therapy is much more hands-on and active on the therapist part than in individual therapy. So I am way more active participant in the room when I'm doing family and couples therapy. And I use my own experience of what is happening in the session as well to highlight patterns that aren't working for the family and the couple. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking of starting family and couples therapy, you can definitely expect your, your therapist to be active in session. Um, But those are some of the few ways that I do think that collaborating with other clients or with your own family or your partner in session could be really helpful. Yeah, I think those are really great things to mention. I know that having been in some of our, I've audited some of our support groups as well as some of our dialectical behavioral therapy groups and seeing members be able to talk about their own experiences and how other people in the group may have gone through something similar or identify with a certain part of that story and feel a bit more seen or feel a little bit less alone. It can be really helpful to just help with that isolation that can sometimes come when you're really struggling. And also I love how you mentioned with, for individual therapy, a lot happens, most of what's going on is happening outside of session. So the therapist can provide feedback in session, but what the client does with that advice it's what they do with it. But with couples and family therapy, if you're actually there in session, you can help facilitate a more effective way of communicating. And you're actually physically there to see the type of communication and the way that it's communicated. And you're not just hearing a one-sided story from the client that is hopefully their truth, but you know, being able to actually see and be there in session, I'm, I'm sure can be really enlightening as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of collaboration between a therapist and a client's family or friends, it can be really helpful to involve family or friends or the support network in therapy, not necessarily in the form of 
family therapy where they're in session with you consistently, but them perhaps speaking with your therapist outside of session or even, you know, joining for a few minutes at the end of your session. Those are just a few examples of how a family member or a friend could be involved in treatment, but not necessarily there for every session. But what are some examples of when it could be helpful to include a family member in discussion, maybe not doing a a family session, but to include them in the treatment plan? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I know every clinician would have a different answer for when this is appropriate, but I would say it's helpful to involve the client support network, such as family members, partners, or friends when the client needs ongoing support outside of sessions. So for example, if you're coming to our center for OCD treatment, many times we choose to have a separate session with the parents to provide psychoeducation on this disorder and how they can make sure to support their child and encourage them to stick with treatment. This includes cheerleading, validation, doing exposures with your child to show support and making sure the parents are aware of how they might have accommodated their child's anxiety in the past to prevent that as much as possible going forward. That's just one example where you'd want to give psychoed to the family. It's also helpful to have these collateral sessions or you know phone calls, like you mentioned, with a client support network, if there's an interpersonal difficulty they're having with someone and feel they need a safe space to communicate their needs and feelings to this person. So, you know, like a place where they know that their therapist will set the grounds for hopefully a validating session, you know, although that's somewhat out of our control. But at the very least, it could increase the odds of this conversation going well and the client feeling heard and understood. And I think last but not least, meeting with a client support network can also provide a fuller picture of the client for the therapist. And that can really help the therapist to understand this patient more fully and be more effective in session. So if we're using that OCD example, Again, you know, there may be parts of someone's OCD that they are unaware of, and that really affects their loved ones more so than them. And that can provide some insight that they may not have yet acquired. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know I like that you mentioned that it it really just depends on the provider. It depends on the client. It depends on that relationship. And of course, the relationship between the therapist and the client themselves is what's most important. And that's prioritized over the therapist relationship with any family members um, or support networks. And it can be, you know, not effective to include other people in treatment, but I think it's great to mention there are certain instances where it can be really helpful to have other people involved in treatment as well, whether that be providing support outside of session, or as you mentioned with the OCD example, providing further context to a situation that the client themselves might not even have fully realized themselves. So that's a point that I hadn't thought of that was, that's really, I think it's really great to bring up. Yeah, I actually have um, a particular client of mine where where this context dependency is so important, where we discussed whether or not it would make sense to bring in her parents to bring up some stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, she decided that her parents didn't have the skills to really sit there and be validating towards her and that she wasn't quite ready for that. And that actually a much more, I guess, a better space, I don't know, better is judgmental, but maybe a more appropriate space would actually to do it with her parents' couples therapist who actually knows the family well, knows the couple well, and could sort of segue them into some family therapy sessions. So again, it's so context dependent and it really makes sense to check in with your patients first and 
understand all angles before having that collateral session. Yeah, definitely. And determining what boundaries should be set and should not be crossed is, I'm sure, extremely important before you're including other people in any sort of communication. So we do like to mention this in most episodes, but of course, there are those who cannot access therapy for whatever reason. Do you have any advice for how those who are struggling to find a therapist or are not able to access therapy, um, how they can find support or a sense of community even without going to a specific provider? Yes, and I think this is a, a really great question. Um, you know, unfortunately, accessing therapy can be difficult for for people. And I think a few ideas I had was Psychology Today has a section for support groups in different cities for various common issues and experiences people face, and some of them are free. Um, there are also nonprofit organizations and agencies that might provide free therapy or free group therapy, or even offer a lower fee. Also, if spirituality and or religion is important to you, finding support and community through your church, through your mosque or synagogue, et cetera, can help alleviate symptoms. And speaking with your spiritual or religious leader in your community could provide you with comfort. And they might also have other resources that they can connect you to. I think most importantly, talking with your friends and relatives who you feel you can trust the ones who you know will most likely validate you and talking about your struggles with supportive loved ones can take the shame and or guilt away that we might be feeling around a struggle that we're having. This isn't related to therapy in particular, but join a group activity in your city. It could be a walking club. It could be a pickleball league, a backgammon league. I put one that I put that one down because I joined a backgammon league. I'm super passionate about backgammon and I've met a lot of great people. Yeah, it's fun fact about me. That's amazing. Um, my dad taught me how to play backgammon during the pandemic and I play it all the time. And so I've met some wonderful people in New York City uh, through this backgammon league, including a world champion of backgammon, which was super cool. It's amazing. And she crushed me. She absolutely crushed me. <laughs> That is so cool. Um, so putting yourself out there and, you know, putting yourself in social circles will put you in a position to meet other people and help you to feel less isolated and more connected. And like I said before earlier, you know, we're social creatures. So it is so important to our vitality and our emotional and physical health that we feel connected to others. Yeah, I think those were all really great ideas. And I think mentioning that it doesn't need to necessarily be a, a group of people that you're getting together for a therapeutic reason. It could be that it's just a common interest in building that sense of community and there can be really helpful. And I think also just mentioning the support groups and Psychology Today is a really great resource for finding those support groups, also for finding providers within your network or who maybe have lower fee options available. So Psychology Today can be really helpful for finding providers, support groups, and just information as well. So I think those are you know, really great things to mention for people who are struggling to to find a therapist or who are not able to move forward with treatment. As I understand, it's not accessible to a lot of people, unfortunately. Well, thank you so much, Tori, for taking the time to speak with me today. I think we covered a lot of really good topics. We really appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Julia. Thanks for listening to A More Connected Life. 
visit centerforanxiety.org for more information about everything we talked about today and to connect with us. Tune in next time as we discuss more ways to live a more connected life.